Support for this podcast has been provided by Alliance Bernstein Investment Management and Research, making money meaningful. And one day I get a phone call uh, just on my way to the army to get enlisted to a combat unit. And the phone call says, hello, um, you got accepted to the intelligence force. We cannot give you further information at the time. And don't go on the bus to combat unit. Just wait for us. This is Startup Stories from the Startup Nation. My name is Yigal Marcus. Thank you for joining us. In this podcast, we'll meet the entrepreneurs who have personified the economic miracle known as the Startup Nation, the State of Israel. We'll learn about the culture which helped incubate them and their ideas. We'll learn of their successes and, of course, their failures. And we'll explore why it is that Israel develops some of the leading innovators of our time. Famed author Stephen King once said, talent is cheaper than table salt. What separates the talented individual from the successful one is a lot of hard work. In this episode, we will meet someone who was an admitted failure in school, but had the sheer unadulterated talent to do great things and then worked his butt off to actually do them. Gil Dabach is not the story of an entrepreneur who sold his company for hundreds of millions of dollars. Not yet, at least. Instead, Gil's story exemplifies the importance of persistence when building a company, or, quite frankly, trying to accomplish anything in life. As you will see, Gil loves to hack things. His company, Northbit, made international news when they successfully hacked the Android operating system, revealing a security vulnerability in 95% of Android devices. Now, Gil is one of the good guys, and he hacked the system in order to expose a flaw. He then created a solution around it. Gil eventually sold Northbit to renowned augmented reality startup Magic Leap for a lot of money. But the story of Gil Dabach and Northbit really begins much earlier, when Gil was a child struggling in school, but infatuated with computers and coding. And his sheer talent and persistence made all of the difference in his career. We're here with Gil Daba, the founder of Northbit and a serial entrepreneur, someone who uh, made the news for all sorts of interesting reasons <laughs> earlier in his career. We're going to get to that in a few minutes. But uh, first, uh, Gil, thank you very much for joining us. We really do appreciate you joining us here today and uh, sharing with us your story. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Where were you born and where'd you grow up? Um, so hello everybody. I'm Gil, actually it's Dabach, if we have to say it in Hebrew. Yeah, you, you, you tell my <laughs> listeners to pronounce Dabach. Exactly. <laughs> um, so I, I grew up near Tel Aviv in Ramat Sharon. I'm 35 years old and um, at only the age of 26, I moved to Tel Aviv. Before that, I was only at my parents and uh, moving to the big city is really different, even though I, I lived all my life only 10 minutes away, but it's, it's a bubble on its own. Actually, today, I read an article that Tel Aviv was ranked 18th in the world in terms of high tech. Yeah, it makes sense. I, actually, I, I, I thought it might be even ranked higher because um, we, are, we have many, many startups here in Israel, so... 
but but that's maybe a good place to start with. Anyway, as a kid, I, I found myself fascinated with, um, you know, Lego and uh, electronics. And I used to disassemble all the electronics that my mother bought. And the funny thing, I could never build it back together. <laughs> but, you, yeah, but you still learn something about it. And um, only at the age of nine, where it was uh, the Gulf War, you know, in 1991 or something, or two, uh, I got my first computer, and, and I didn't do much about it. I mostly just uh, played games. And my sister, at the time, I hardly knew English, okay? So we need to remember it. And my sister was uh, two years older, and she actually taught me all the DOS commands, how to use my, my computer. Which computer was it? Do you remember? Um, it, probably 286 or something. Okay. Um, no, nothing spectacular, you know, just what we had back then in the market. It was very expensive, I remember that, like maybe 10,000 shekels or something. Not, wow. not something that every household can, can uh, allow themselves. So, so how old were you at that, at that point? Um, nine. Yeah. Nine, wow, yeah. okay. And I fell in love with DOS, and, and saying DOS is weird, you know, it's not, there's nothing to fall in love with, with like command line and black screen. But what I mean is about like the, the commands and how the computer works. And um, at that time I decided that I want to learn uh, computer programming languages. I don't even know why, I, I was just drawn to it. And I went to some shop near my uh, house and I asked for a uh, basic, like it's not even visual basic, it's just basic, literally the most basic language out there at the time, uh, maybe even for today. And I found th three books, it was a series. And I started reading them and playing around with it. And this is where I realized it's fun and it brings creativity. I didn't do much at the time. I didn't code any games or anything like that. I was too, too small for that maybe. But I was fascinated with, with the endless options of what you can code. And um, that drew me even uh, stronger and harder into computers. And then at the age of 12, I started um, going to a computers club. It was literally at, at the end of my road where I lived. And apparently the guy that was teaching this course, he was the guy who wrote the basic books that I bought like a few years earlier. So that was a funny like uh, closure. And I started learning uh, Turbo Pascal or just Pascal, that's the name of the language, which is, um, it's, it's something nice to learn. It's nobody really uses it for anything commercial, like serious commercial applications. But again, we need to remember I was 12. And, and this is where maybe part of me, I call it uh, the competitor, you know, like I like to compete with people about stuff. And when you're in the computers club and you see these kids doing like cool graphical uh, either games or demos and stuff like that, you say, Wow, you know, like now I want to do the same. It looks awesome. And then you need to sit down and to learn how, how you do the stuff that they did, you know. And they were a bit older, some of them. And um, um, I, I just needed to work harder to, to get my skills better. And 
And I remember back at the time there was no internet, okay? So, you know, getting um, material, even source code or tutorials to, to learn how to code or to, to use the help of others didn't exist. So all we had was uh, each other, one another, and uh, we had the books. And then there were these weird cities, like city rooms, that came with lots of random source code about whatever, some boring stuff, but here and there I could find something that, that was relevant for uh, graphics uh, programming and stuff like that. So you were actually attracted more to graphics programming yeah, yeah, than yeah. you were to just databases or... Exactly, and the, the reason I cared about graphics, because the dream was to do games like Warcraft. Uh, and stuff like that. So as a kid, my dream was I want to grow up and go to work at Blizzard. Okay, okay. it's yeah. one of the biggest uh, gaming companies today. Uh, Starcraft and uh, World of Warcraft, obviously, and stuff like that, and Diablo. So that was what what I aimed to do uh, already as a kid, and and doing all this uh, later on game programming is what. I found uh, myself just loving to do, like building games. And at the age of 15, I already knew, I learned um, from the computers club and myself, uh, self-taught, uh, C and C++. And, uh, and at the time I already knew some English, so it was easier, but I, I remember stuff that I didn't understand. Like there is some, some oriented programming concepts that English was a barrier to understand them. So that was a big obstacle. Unlike some uh, native speakers that for them it's obvious maybe. Anyway, were, you, were you a good student in school? No, no, I was a horrible student. So typical. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I, I remember I had to have this uh, chemistry with my teachers. And if there was no chemistry, if they didn't appreciate me, I, I wouldn't study their subject. I don't know, it sounds stupid when you, come to think about it now, but this is how I acted. It's actually very typical. Yeah. It's very typical of entrepreneurs to you know, really focus in on what they love and things that don't attract them, things that don't interest them, they just let go. So it didn't surprise me right. when you told me that you weren't a great student. So I just want to finish my story about yeah. when I was 15, I decided to come up with uh, an arcade game, like tanks game that you can uh, go around the map and, and shoot the bad guys like other tanks and stuff. And there were airplanes and, and many, many cool features. The problem was that when I was 15, uh, it was already 97 or 8, and uh, such a game is, is very old already in the market. But, but imagine as a kid to do something that maybe even only five years before could be like something crazy. Um, so that was like, um, you know, big achievement. And it took me a whole year to work on that game, okay? Um, and, and I can tell you, the, I told you I'm very competitive and this is where it came in. Um, the, the notion that everybody does what they like. And w when you're done with, with doing the fun parts about the game, you never finish the game because the rest is boring, okay? It's, it's true for pretty much everything in our life. When you start a project, you do only the 80%, and then the 20 is really boring, is tedious, is hard. So you just skip it, and then you never finish your project. So at the age of 15, I asked myself, 
what's gonna make me different out of all people, out of all the, all the friends in, in the computers club? And I said, I'm gonna walk one year and finish the game and, and actually never give up until I'm done with how everything is gonna be. Like in, in terms of, um, you know, when you set your mind on, on something and you want to have high standards, so I did everything and uh, I did it together with a friend. He was even 14 at the time. And we actually did the game and every year until now, um, on the 20th of d December, we celebrate uh, the release date of the game. Which what, what was the name of the game? Condor. Condor. Condor, yeah. Um, did you sell it or did you just actually let some play it? Or? Th that's surprising. Some freeware uh, companies at the time sent me an email asking if they can sell it or something, but I told them no way because I, I didn't do it to make profit, right? God forbid. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so, so that was the time that I knew, okay, I can do long projects and I really love coding and uh, maybe, or not maybe, this is what I want to do the rest of my life, just coding, you know? And at the age of 18, Actually, before that, at the age of 16, I got a project together with the other friend I was coding with um, to do for some uh, entrepreneur that was already successful in Herzliya Pituach. That's the first city of uh, high-tech scene in Israel. So the guy told us he has this vision to, to do a Visio uh, kind of application. Visio is one of the applications that one of the tools that you get inside the office package. It's of like Microsoft. a project management tool, right? No, no, no. That's the one like, um, uh, you know, drawing around how a house will look. I got it. Or okay. uh, stuff like that, or, or connecting uh, network components to each other so you can draw the whole um, corporate network, you know, the layout, the topography, and, and things like that. So it's very graphical, and you just drag and drop objects, and then you can connect them and stuff like that. So today Visio is really popular and used. Um, so we did it also at the age of 16, 17, something like that. It, it, at the time there was no Visio. So the guy said, okay, I'm gonna pay you a lot. And uh, he paid us something like each uh, $5,000. Wow. I was only 16, 17. So that was like a lot of money for me at the time. Um, and we did it. Unfortunately, the project didn't uh, take off. You know, he, he didn't uh, manage to sell it or promote it. So that was a bummer. But if I look at it today as my professional life, that I actually got paid at the age of, again, 16 and 17 for coding. That's awesome. You know, like the rest of my friends worked at McDonald's at the same time. So I guess I was lucky and... Um, this is only something I came to realize in, in the last couple of years. Before that, it was yet another event in my life that wasn't anything important. But now that I look at it, it's, it's saying a lot. So at the age of um, 18, I, I wanted to go to the intelligence force. Because I heard in the intelligence force, you do all the cool uh, computer programming stuff. And, and I knew that I don't want to go to combat units. I'm not into killing people or anything. I just want to do coding. And the more, the better, the, the merrier. So you could imagine, I said already, I, I wasn't a good student. And that's a big obstacle when 
imagine the people in the army, they try to locate all the smarties. So they go to the teachers and they ask them, who is, who is a smart guy? Who is a nerd? Who loves computers and math and physics? And obviously they never, they never listed uh, my name. So what I did as a kid, I, I found people in the street where, where I grew up and I knew to recognize the, the tag, you know, they have on, on the shoulder that- uh, as And the uniforms. The uniform, of course, they were yep. soldiers, right? But I, I knew to recognize the, the intelligence force tag on their shoulders and I would approach them like totally randomly as, as a 17 years old kid and tell them, look, I want to go to your unit. And at the time I, I thought there was only 8200 unit. I didn't know there were obviously others. And uh, this is my ID and name and please recommend me. Now, can you imagine a kid doing that? That's so weird, right? Now that takes guts. Yeah. It takes a lot of guts. I, I didn't at the time look at it that way. It, for me, there was no guts. Like it's not like uh, eating up on a girl or something like it. It's just like, <laughs> this is my goal. I need to reach it. And now you need to approach people to, to vote you or, or whatever the way the system works. So you were determined to get into 8200 originally. Right. And the people that you met were in 8200. No, I never met ah, anybody okay. there before. Actually, I don't even know how I knew about 8200 unit. Uh, maybe from the newspapers or asking around or maybe grown-ups uh, told me this is the best place in the army for computers or something like that. I, I never knew what, what they do there or stuff like that. I only knew they need coders and I'm a coder and this is, this is a great fit. Um, so what happened next? Yeah, so eventually I, I got um, asked for interviews uh, for, for Intelligence Force. At the time, again, I didn't know each, which unit it's going to be. And, and I did okay. Normally th th there are questions about uh, mathematics, physics, and, and computers. And I'm, I'm bad at, at mathematics and physics. I mean, maybe better than most people would say, you know, but... I don't consider myself any good there, but in computers, I, I could strike a good uh, score, you know? Um, and then in July, just before I got uh, enlisted, I, I'm getting a post mail saying you got uh, accepted to, to the intelligence force. Now, you, you don't know anything else. You don't know where, where about you're gonna be. And- When you and say intelligence force, they, was that you did an 8200 or? No, was, that, just, that, that's the they point. They don't tell you, they, they tell you nothing. Right, it's, it's pure uh, secret, you know? Jeez, so, that must be Yeah, but, but, but I was encouraged that probably, again, in the intelligence force, there are many units, but there is, uh, at the time, what I, I knew was only 8200 that is relevant for my skills, okay? So that was the one plus one that I, I made then. And then uh, I was abroad when the, this uh, mail arrived. And uh, once I got back home, I, I called the intelligence force um, interviewing place for, for uh, uh, pre-soldiers kids or something like that and asked them, is it true that I got accepted? And they told me, wait a sec, please give us your ID. And I'm telling them my ID. And uh, after a few seconds, oh, we are seeing you on the computer that, um, I don't know, no, you're not, you didn't get accepted. And I'm like, but what, I got an 
a mail saying that I got accepted and yeah, probably a mistake or something. And this is where at the time I, I didn't know uh, the IDF very well, but you know, like every big organization, there is always some chaos inside the system. And, of course. and that, was, uh, yeah. that was part of it. So, so apparently I didn't get accepted, even though I, I celebrated my acceptance uh, while I was abroad. So at that time I said, there is no way that I actually celebrated something that is not going to happen. So now I need to work even harder to, to, to make uh, my acceptance there. So when I was maybe 14, something like that, um, the other friend and I and, and another guy, we were like a group of, of uh, friends coding together our games and stuff. And we found out there was this uh, site, website, CodeGuru, C-O-I-L. So CodeGuru was uh, allegedly just a normal uh, website to host competitions for computers geeks. And we never knew who is hosting this and what's the point, but we loved it because it was in Hebrew and they asked many, many you know, software uh, coding questions, programming, and again, physics and math and stuff like that. So we participated in all the competitions. And apparently at, at, at one day, the, I'm, I'm already saying, um, you know, the, the outcome, but eventually I got into the unit. And eventually what happened is that on the CodeGuru website, except from the, the tests, that, that were hosted there, there was a forum. And the forum hosted some questions that some guy used to write there. We, we didn't know the, who, who, who was the guy at the time, obviously. But he, he was asking a, a specific question to do something in the assembly language, which is like a machine uh, programming language. It's, most people find it the other, I find it the easiest. Maybe that's why I love computers as well. Uh, like it, it, it is really so so basic, like basic commands that uh, you talk the same level to the processor. This is the actual commands that the processor, the CPU, actually executes. And uh, I find it easy and compelling. And he was asking to do some application there, and he said the number of of. Um, I'm trying not to go too much uh, technological, but just to say that there was some metric which according to it, he could measure the success of, of the application, okay? It was the size of the application. And, and I decided like, oh, it sounds like a good, a good puzzle, so I'm gonna try and do it. And then it was after I finished high school, so I had plenty of, of time um, to, to spend on anything I loved. And for that uh, time, I worked like two weeks on that uh, puzzle. And I did something really, really uh, well, like in terms of creativity and, uh, you know, d doing some research on how to, to reduce the size of the program and things like that. And I submitted my, my answer on the forum. Again, I didn't know who, who was the owner of the forum or what's the story behind it. And, and I was surprised to see that nobody else answered this question. Like, 
I, I thought like there are hundreds of kids I know that compete in, in, on the website and, and come to the competition and the contest, but nobody answered except me. And one day I get a phone call uh, just on my way to the army to get enlisted to a combat unit. And the phone call says, hello, um, you got accepted to the intelligence force. We cannot give you further information at the time. And don't go on the bus to combat unit. Just wait for us in, in uh, the enlisting uh, camp, you know, the Baku. And I was, okay, that's <laughs> okay. Like, you want to give me more information? No, not, not at the time and goodbye. And that was like a weird call. Imagine you are a kid. You are just standing at, at, at the base where everything starts in the army. And they tell you, don't listen to the people who are going to shout at you to tell you. Get on the bus. Get on the bus. <laughs> and, and you tell them like, no. That's not a good way to start your army. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And, you know, the army is very hard on people. Like, especially at that time because they try to break the spirits of, of people like this is serious stuff you are now soldiers you're gonna do whatever you like right and then I'm coming and telling them no I'm, go I'm not gonna go on the bus so a week later I, I started to understand the picture and I, I was really accepted to, to the intelligence force and I, I did the normal training of, of uh, non-combat unit which takes only one month. And then I, in, in that training time, I found more people to go to the intelligence force. So it was like finally breathing like, like a sigh, a good sigh that I know I'm on track to, to what my dream was. Which unit uh, was it at the end? So apparently I, I got into this uh, programming course. And at the time we realized that they can suck you in any unit. You cannot uh, decide yourself. Actually, they decide for you. And they were connected to all the, the units in the intelligence community. So it's not only the intelligence force. And eventually I, I got uh, into 8200. It was uh, the end of, or the beginning of uh, 2002. And at the time when I was in the course, I learned that, that there are even more units and some of them even more secretive and and uh, maybe cooler so then i was like saying oh bummer i, I wanted to go the other unit <laughs> that's you know? the competitiveness right yes <laughs> yeah so in the army i loved it uh we did we did software research mostly um imagine you know some people ask me what what is research you know what does it mean in in, in computers and stuff so i tell them look Imagine you, you buy some crazy car, like sports car, and you wanna do some modification to the car. You wanna take out the existing engine and put some crazy, uh, you know, like uh, nitro tube or whatever kind of engine, and, and you need to, to put it back into the car. But the car wasn't designed to, to be able to connect with that different engine. So, so somebody had to, to research, to learn how to connect the new engine with the existing car. And, and you could imagine you can do the same with software. It's, it's even like a bigger world of opportunities of, and of what you can do there. So imagine two computers talk to each other and you want um, just to talk to, to one of these computers, but you don't know the protocol, okay? So you need to learn how that protocol works in order to join the party. 
Um, so this is an example of what software research might be, you know, um, just learning how things work and, and then do whatever you want with it. So this is what we did in the army. It was mostly about software research, less about coding, really. Obviously, they go along together because you need to code sometimes, too. So I was in the army for four and a half years. And as you noticed, I'm not going to talk about what I did there. I was uh, an, officers, an, an officer as well. Um, what impacted did the army have on you? That's I a mean, great you, question. You were, you were competitive going in. You were driven growing, going in. You had you know, experience as a youngster programming and coding and building. And what did it do for you? So, you know, Im- imagine you go to the best place where you know all the best people with, with extensive experience like myself were. And, um, but I knew I started to code at a very early age, a very early age and that gave me a big advantage on, on everybody else. And, you know, looking, looking around and always comparing yourself uh, with the rest of the people, I, I found that I had more, more experience and I was better, faster, whatever, you know. Um, and again, imagine these are the best people. So I said, okay, if, th- if they are the best and I'm very good here, maybe I'm really good, you know. <laughs> so that was the first time I, I knew that I'm really good at what I'm doing, like, like absolutely good and not just um, thinking with, with a few friends from the computers club that I'm good. Um, but to answer your question, put, put my uh, competitiveness uh, aside, what, what we learned in, in the army course before going to the unit, it was something that is, is priceless. It changes everything that, that how I look at things today. It, 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 the bottom line is like never give up that's it you can do anything you want never give up there is always a solution uh, I read some book they said uh, the possible takes time the impossible takes longer but it's still possible and, and this is the attitude that, uh, or the approach that they try to, to put in you and now imagine you need to do software research, okay? And you say, ah, it's impossible to do that. And they tell you, no, just try another way or keep, keep trying until you make it. And the reason it's so important is because sometimes the, the goals and, and the task at end are so frust- fr- frustrating that you say, you know, I'm, I'm getting tired. I'm, I cannot do it. It's, it's more about like mental game, you know? And then you remember, wait, but I'm, I'm wired to never give up. So I'm not going to give up and, and eventually you make it, you know. So I guess in the army, I, I worked on a lot of uh, research oriented projects and um, I, I had a good impact on the projects I worked on. And it was really fun. I, I, I really worked a lot and I never cared about anything else. I just cared about more software, more coding, more research. So you finished the army in 2006, yeah. and, and you did what then? And then I did the big mistake that uh, all the kids do today. The kids, I mean the, the soldiers who get uh, dismissed. Because, you know, the, the, 
the soldiers before us that got already dismissed, what they go and do is, is uh, coming up with startup companies. And I said like, okay, I want to do the same. Like I want to I wanna go and walk and, and you know, so many stories in, in the news about startups and this startup was acquired and that startup was acquired. And you say, oh my God, I'm part of this. That was 12 years ago. I mean, I mean, it's only gotten bigger and better. And Exactly. And it was only the beginning. Everything, like all of us, was so naive about the market and, and the industry. And I went ahead and joined a few friends um, to try to do, today, maybe the best way to describe it would be like um, digital currency, like Ethereum or um, Bitcoin and things like that. 12 years ago. 12 years ago, yeah. Before, that was before, before, before blockchain. Yeah, 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 way before. It was centralized though, but it was like, um, imagine like uh, money that was digitally signed and things like that. So some of the ideas were already there at the time, but um, the, the management, it was a really small startup, like only 15 employees. And it was mostly X8200 people and X Microsoft people. Apparently, the CEO, you, you know, I found myself saying, okay, this company is not going anywhere, so I'm going to quit. But then my team lead, uh, which is, is a good friend until today, and he's a serial entrepreneur himself. And I learned a lot from him. And this is the reason I came to work at that company, to be close to that guy, because he's going to develop me further, uh, both uh, technically and, and life-wise, you know. What's his name? Ophir Ehrlich. Uh, of Cloud and Do fame uh, acquired by Amazon a few weeks ago, yeah. So, so the CEO in my mind was maybe maybe to say to say it uh, gently, like not not good, not uh, not selling the actual product. But I I decided to stay one year longer, and after two years I decided, okay, it's still not going anywhere, so I'm I'm just gonna quit because I don't want to waste my time. So I quit and I started travel the world. What, what I should have done maybe <laughs> the first day after uh, getting dismissed from the army like everybody else is doing. But the good thing, the advantage was that uh, I saved a lot of money. Working in tech, suddenly you find yourself with great salaries and you don't know what to do with so much money. And, and you get a phone call from the banker like saying, what, what do you want to do with the money? You know, because before that, I was getting I the, the minimum, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but before that you get the minimum wage while uh, staying in the army longer than the, the basic period of time. So, so I started traveling and uh, here and there I, I got phone calls from friends saying, can you just come and help us with this technical problem or that technical problem? And the funny thing, at the end of the year, I find myself going to the Israeli IRS kind of. Uh, to, to work on my tax because I found myself working at three places as an employee at the same time, not full time. Each, each place I came for a few weeks to work on something, but the way to, to pay me was using a payslip. And that's, that's a big headache, apparently. So at the end of the year, again, I went to the IRS, the, the Israeli one, and I asked them, how, how can I sort it out? And they said, ah, what's the, what's the problem? Just issue invoices to people. And then I found myself to become a freelancer. I was a freelance uh, technologist. And 
you know, imagine most people, it's the other way around. They wake up one day, they say, I want to be a freelance. I want to do, uh, you know, projects and help companies and stuff. But to me, to me it, it wasn't like, a, like something that I came up with on, on uh, like consciously. It just happened to me. So for, for, a, for a few months, I was doing projects all around, including the US. And then I decided it's time, it's time to make my mother proud. And I started to go to the Open University. Uh, to learn uh, linear algebraic and calculus at the same time. Now, the reason nobody's saying is taking both courses at the same time, but again, my friends from, from childhood, who, who I talked about earlier, they are really good math, mathem mat mathematicians. Mathematicians. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. so, so they told me, yeah, you're smart, you can do it. So I listened to them, and actually for the first time in my life, even though I set my mind on something, um, I failed both exams. And then I realized like, look, I'm not working, which means I don't make any money. And I even pay to study. I don't even enjoy it. I never loved uh, math like m my friends do. And uh, maybe my mother will be proud at another time, you know, so, so I'm quitting. And imagine for somebody so competitive, like to quit something, that was like a bad feeling, to be honest. And, and, uh, but I remember it as, as a crucial milestone in my life to say, you know what? Even if you set your mind on something and it doesn't feel good and, and you don't need all the, you know, the outside forces that, that are there, you can quit and maybe that's, that's okay. So actually, I've never gone uh, to study and I don't have any bachelor degree or anything like that. Um, yeah. So, so, that's nor so that's the beginning of Northbit. No, not yet. Not yet, actually. okay. Not yet. So we, you're, we, you're, we you're getting, freelancing, we, okay. We, we are getting to it. So at the time I had uh, plenty of time and I found myself enjoying doing more software research. This time it was, more about uh, information security or cyber security, if you like. Uh, and and I, I love to hack systems. And, um, to hack? Yeah. To break into systems? Right. That's a passion of yours. Right. And I still do it today, and I still uh, publish my findings. But what people think about hacking, it, it doesn't necessarily mean you hack into Facebook.com. What I love to hack is operating systems, okay? Operating systems today are very uh, secure and protected. Imagine you have your banking application on your phone. Yeah, I'm just turning my phone off now, actually, because right. <laughs> I, I don't really trust you here, so. Um. <laughs> That's true. But it, again, imagine you have your banking application and you put your credentials into that application and then you can log into your account and you could do some uh, money wiring and so on. But in order for another application or a malicious application not to steal uh, either money from your bank account or have access to your bank account, somebody very smart was there on the operating uh, system side designing the system to be secure for that way. So now you can totally trust your phone. So I love to go and, and to break that part so they are not secure anymore if, if you get to run my application. So yeah, if I send you a link, don't, don't <laughs> use don't it. Don't click on it. <laughs> um, 
so I was uh, giving talks around the world about some stuff I was doing. Like one day there was a virus in the wild, meaning that uh, antivirus flagged it as, as attacking computers around the world. And the virus was exploiting some vulnerability, like um, some, some software bug or problem inside Internet Explorer, meaning that if I sent you a link and, and you clicked on it and you, your Internet Explorer on your machine would navigate to my website, I completely at that time could compromise your whole computer, open your microphone, open, turn on your camera or whatever, okay? Or just steal all the information. Uh, today, maybe you know it as people do um, like, like blackmail you. They encrypt yeah. all your files and they tell you if, if you want to get your files back, just pay me in Bitcoin. That's ransomware, okay? So we found this this virus and I said, you know what, I, I can write a patch. I can actually write some application, a tool that if you install it, you're going to be immune to that vulnerability. That was 2006 uh, or seven, something like that. A very, very long time ago. So that patch actually got lots of press and even Boeing contacted us. We were a group of um, the most I would say popular uh, information security experts at the time, okay? So Boeing actually approached us and asked if they should install the, the patch, but we told them, look, probably you're big enough, you get support from Microsoft, don't use what we did, okay? It's, it's, it work, it's working, but it's not for you guys. You have liability and stuff and support that you need to do or to get from Microsoft. But just to give you an idea of how much press uh, it, it got. So apparently it, it reached some Israeli newspaper and they said the Israeli software researcher, back then an enthusiast researcher, uh, which always uh, I find amusing because I, I do it professionally, but, but that's okay. Uh, so he wrote a patch for Internet Explorer. Now imagine there is a huge company, it's called Microsoft, they own Internet Explorer. And this guy is writing a patch faster than they did. But, you know, uh, looking at the facts, it's, it's easy to show it at this angle. In reality, imagine if you're Microsoft, you have so much backward compatibility that you need to support. This is one of the reasons why Microsoft is so successful because of legacy software always working. And the amount of testing you need to go through when, when you do one change in software is, is huge. Um, so it took them longer, obviously, to test everything and to say, okay, now, now it's working, our patch is good and you can use it. Anyway, um, some Israeli startup company found this ad, or just not ad, just post, and they offered me to join them. And for the first time in my life, they told me, we're going to give you the chance to be a team lead and you're going to manage people. So I took the, the challenge and I said, okay, I'm, I'm stopping being a freelance and I'm gonna manage people. And, and that's uh, Antigua? That's Antigua, yeah. And I'm, I'm not gonna go into what they did because I think it's not interesting, but I can tell you as, as a first time uh, manager, the, the experience wasn't good. It was really tough when you have smart people and uh, they came first to the company and you come afterwards. It's really hard to start that way. 
And you know, smart people are smarties. So um, it takes a while to win their trust and, and to, to work together. So again, I found myself in a situation that I was saying to myself, look, what, what the CEO did, I think it's wrong. I think I could have done it better. And then it started, you know, to, to grow in my mind that maybe I think I'm so smart, you know, I'm saying always like I, I could have done better than my own managers. Maybe it's time that I need to, to prove my own point. And this is where finally uh, we, we come to talk about Northbit. This concludes part one of my interview with Gil Dabach. Tune in to part two when we discover how it is that Gil built his business how he handled the stress of being an entrepreneur and the advice he gives future entrepreneurs as they pursue their dreams. You've been listening to Startup Stories from the Startup Nation. I'm the host, Yigal Marcus. The associate producers are Moshe Raps and Avi Maklis, and the senior research analyst is Lior Leben. If you have a startup that you think we should feature on air, please email me at yigal.marcus at bernstein.com or at StartupStoriesIsrael at gmail.com. No good startup in Israel is too big or too small. A big, very special thank you to my employer, Alliance Bernstein Investment Management and Research, who has been incredibly supportive of this initiative. And please, share these podcasts with your friends, like us on Facebook, and please, please, please rate us on iTunes. Until next time, thank you for listening.